Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. I have to say it is exceedingly weird to uh, be gathered here in the building for a worship service with nobody else here. Um, of course, I'm incredibly thankful for the technology that allows us to gather together virtually. But wow, I mean, being here this morning uh, in, in a room that's empty is, <laughs> is really, really strange. And it makes me realize how much I miss seeing your faces and hearing how your week has been and just catching up with you on a weekly basis. And, and as I'm sure you all do, I am longing for the day when all of this will be behind us and we can gather together in person once again. But today I am going to be wrapping up a series that we have been doing over the last several weeks on union with God. And what we've been talking about is the fact that the Christian life is meant to be lived in union with God, to have a, a deep oneness with God, a, a dependence on God, a, a deep communion with him. Jesus used the analogy of the vine and the branch, and, and, and that illustrates this kind of oneness that we're supposed to have, and that that's how the Christian life is meant to be lived. So we've been talking about this for the last few weeks, but, but what I want to talk about today to wrap up the series is I want to get as practical as I possibly can, and I want to paint the best picture I can of what it actually looks like to live in union with God. And as I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking about people I know personally who I feel like really do live in union with God. And I was thinking about some of the common characteristics and traits that I see in their lives. And as I was kind of jotting them down, I realized I had 10 different characteristics. And I thought, hey, it's a top 10 list. You know, we, we love top 10 lists, right? We, that's like the ultimate clickbait, you know, Top 10 reasons your goldfish is smarter than you. Top 10 reasons you should own a parakeet. Things like that. You know, we love top 10 lists. So I thought, well, why not have a top 10 list, top 10 list of characteristics of people who live in union with God? That's what we're going to take a look at today. Now, I want to preface this before we dive into this list. I want to preface this by saying that, that as I go through these characteristics, I, I don't want you to think that, that these characteristics are what produce union with God. These things are the result of union with God. Remember, as we talked about in the second week, you know, uh, we don't have to work or strive from union, for union with God, that, that we have union with God already because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. And the moment you believe, union with God became a reality for you. And so you can't strive for union with God. You can't earn union with God. It's something to be enjoyed. But the problem is that I think a lot of us don't enjoy union with God because we don't even really have that as a category for us. We don't experience it like God intends for us to. And so this whole series has just been to kind of help us understand that this is the point of the Christian life, is that we are meant to live in union with God and, and, and begin to understand what that might look like. So what does it look like to live in union with God? Well, let's, let's go through these, this top 10 list. And first of all, people who live in union with God have a deep 
hunger for God. They are lovesick. They long for God. They can't get enough of God. It reminds me of the passage in uh, Psalm 42 where the psalmist writes, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. It's that cry of a lovesick heart. They long for more of God. You know, I think about this when, uh, maybe an analogy to understand this is, you know, whenever I take a trip and I'm away from my family for a while, I, I, I long to be back with Lauren. You know, life just doesn't feel quite right when I'm apart from her. I, I would much rather live life in union with my wife, Lauren, than be apart from her. And so I long to be back with her. And it's the same way with people who live in union with God. Once you've tasted of it, once you've experienced union with God, you're ruined for anything else. And you can't get enough of it. You just want more and more and more. And so you have a deep hunger for God. Secondly, people who live in union with God are people of prayer. People of prayer. They, they love to pray. It's, it's as natural for them as having a conversation because that's what prayer is. It's a conversation. And, and prayer for them is, is the place where they really get to interact with God, where they, where they get to live out that union in such an extraordinary way. And prayer is, models the heart of humility and dependence that is at the really foundation of living in union with God. I remember one time at life group, I was leading a life group, and uh, this woman came to our life group who uh, we didn't really know very well. And at the end of our life group, uh, we had a time of prayer. And she began, when she began to pray, <laughs> as a friend of mine said afterwards, he said, oh, the ground really shook when she prayed. Now, the ground didn't literally shake, but she, what he was saying was, is that she knows how to pray. We could tell right away this is someone who walks in union with God and has spent a lot of time in prayer because she prayed with authority. She prayed with passion. She prayed with conviction. It was like next level prayer. And that's what happens when you live in union with God. It, you become a person of prayer. And that feeds into my next point here is that people that live in union with God, they see answers to prayer. They see answers to prayer on a regular basis. And you know, you think about what James wrote in James 5.16, he said, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That's what happens when, when we pray. You know, people, uh, people that, that really live in union with God, they, 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 they're a righteous person and, and they, they have this ability to pray in such a way that produces results. Not all prayer produces results. I think we, we have to just be honest and admit that there's prayers that work and there's prayers that don't work. There's prayers that produce results and there's prayers that don't produce results. And people that walk in union with God, they've spent a lot of time praying and they've learned how to pray with focus and with passion. They've learned how to contend for things in prayer. They've learned how to pray for things until they see results. Fourth, people who walk in union with God, they hear God's voice. They hear God's voice. They, they, they recognize that prayer isn't just a one-way conversation. They recognize that not only do we need to talk to God, but He wants to talk to us. And so they, they prioritize listening to God. They, they prioritize hearing Him because they, they don't want to just, you know, a lot of us, our prayer lives are just one-way conversations. We have a lot of things we want to say to God, but we don't really want to listen 
to what he has to say in return. You know, imagine if I handled my marriage that way. Imagine if I talked to Lauren all the time, and I'm a verbal processor, so she might feel this way sometimes. If I talked to her all the time and didn't listen to her in response, I mean, that would not go well. That would not be a good recipe for our marriage. You know, we, it's the same in our relationship with God. We, our prayer life isn't just meant to be talking to Him. It's about receiving from Him. And the beautiful thing is that you are created to hear God's voice. God has given you the ability. You can hear his voice. Jesus says in John 10, he says, my sheep hear my voice. And I think that's incredible. The God of the universe wants to speak to you. He wants to guide you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to fill you with hope if we'll just pause and listen to him. There's so much more I could say about this, but uh, if you want to know more about what it means to hear God's voice, then, then I preached a whole ser- series on this back in February before the world got turned upside down. And you can go online uh, to our website or to our podcast and listen to that series where I go into much more detail. But my point is here that people who walk in union with God hear God's voice. Fifth, people who walk in union with God, they love God's word. They delight in God's word. We talked about this last week in Psalm 1. The righteous person delights in the law of God. He meditates on it day and night. The person who walks in union with God gets life out of the word of God. They linger in the word of God. They draw their strength from it. You know, I've found over the years that that when I am spending time in God's word on a daily basis, it, it gives me, you know, it doesn't necessarily change things overnight. It doesn't maybe have an instantaneous results. There's not angels singing when, when I spend time reading the Bible all the time. But, I, but what, I, what happens is when I read the Bible on a regular basis, I notice that something in my heart shifts and, 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 I, and I'm able to live with more joy, more peace. I'm able to live in greater union with God. And, and that's what happens. People that live in union with God, they they, they delight in God's word because it's like a, a letter from a loved one. You know, it just brings joy to their heart. Sixth, people who walk in union with God, they have an unusual trust in God. You know, this is actually, Jesus talked about this, and, and this whole series has really been based on John's account of the Last Supper uh, in, in John's chap, John chapter 13 to 17. And, and three of those chapters... Um, we get this long teaching from Jesus where he, he's giving his disciples his final instructions. These are like, he, he knows he's about to lead, leave them. He's going to be betrayed that night. He's going to the cross. And these are his final words to him. It's like a coach giving his team a, a one last pep talk before they head out onto the pitch for the big match. And the theme of his final instructions to his disciples is union with him. He's saying to them, abide in me, remain in me. And, and, and this whole thing, he starts off, the very first line of his final instructions to him, he says this. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. So, so the very first thing, he's like saying, hey, look, hard times are coming, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust God. Trust in me, and that's what people who live in union with God do. They have this extraordinary trust. And it's interesting, Jesus pairs it there with, with don't, not letting your hearts be troubled. 
We all have reasons. The disciples had reasons. We all have reasons. Hello, we live in 2020. We have reasons for our hearts to be troubled. But people who walk in union with God, they don't let their hearts be troubled. They, they, they trust in him in an extraordinary way. And, 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 and in fact, the worse things get, the more their trust is evident. Because they have every reason in the world to, to doubt God, to question God, to abandon God, but instead their trust becomes more and more evident. Seventh, people who walk in union with God are resilient. They're resilient. They, they have strength that, 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 that when, everybody, when, when the natural circumstances would cause them to just be knocked down by life, they keep responding. <laughs> they keep getting back up. They keep running after God. They're resilient. It reminds me of what Paul prayed for the early Christians. In Ephesians 3, he writes this. He says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he, God, will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Paul's praying that. Now, Paul knew something about adversity in his life. I mean, he went through all kinds of stuff. Read 2 Corinthians. To, he, he makes a pretty extensive list of things that we don't have time to get into today, but he knew something about adversity, but he kept going. He was a man of resilience, and I believe he experienced some of this inner strength from God, and he realized how critical it was for believers to be able to, to get through or to, to live out the Christian life, to have this inner strength, this resilience that comes from God's spirit. And so he prays that for them. And gosh, we need this resilience in 2020, don't we? Number eight, people who live in union with God are extravagant worshipers. You can just tell people that live in union with God by the way they worship. They're focused, they're passionate. They're, 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 you can tell in their body language that, that they're, they've, they're expressive in their worship. They don't, they're not just kind of staring off into space. They don't have their hands in their pockets. They're not zoning out on their phone. No, when it's time to worship, they are going for it with all they have within them. They are focused on God. They're, they're, they're intense and focused, and they're expressive in their worship. It reminds me of David when, when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem for the first time. The story's told in, uh, in 2 Samuel. And, and the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence in his kingdom. And, and it was being brought into Jerusalem, the, the capital city of Israel, for the first time. And it says the King David was so excited about this that he was dancing before. There was like a parade with the Ark of the Covenant. He was dancing in front of it. And he was dancing with such extravagance, it seems like he took his shirt off and, and he was just going for it. He was sweaty, he was dancing, everybody was, it was, it was a celebration. And it says his wife was watching from the palace window and looking at her husband and just like thinking, what on earth is he doing? This is so embarrassing. He's a king. Royal people don't act this way. Kings don't act this way. And she calls him out on it. She says, hey, knock it off. And he just says, hey, I will become even more undignified than this in my worship. People who walk in union with God are like that. You know, they don't care what other people think. They don't care what they look like. They're extravagant worshipers because they live in union with God and they delight in him. Number nine, people who live in union with God, they experience the supernatural. You know, they, it may not be a daily occurrence, but, but maybe they experience supernatural provision. Maybe they experience 
a, a prophetic word that comes to pass in their life, or maybe they give a prophetic word that comes to pass. Maybe they see somebody healed. Maybe they have some unusual wisdom or discernment. Maybe God just speaks to them about something that's going to happen in their day, and, and it happens. It, it could be any, any number of things, and you know, people try to blow off these types of things and say, oh, well, you, know, you just got lucky, or that's just a coincidence. And all I can say is that people that walk in union with God have an unusual number of coincidences. So, shouldn't we expect the supernatural in our lives? I mean, God is a supernatural God. And if we're walking in union with Him, shouldn't we expect to see the supernatural? That's not just for Bible stuff. <laughs> the Bible is, are, is full of examples. They're not exceptions. And we can expect to see the supernatural in our life as we walk with God. But the tenth point, and, and the point I really want to dig into for a few minutes here, is that people that walk in union with God are full of joy. They are full of joy. Jesus, in that last address that he gives to his disciples, makes this really clear. Right in the middle of that address, in chapter 15, he, he makes this really he, clear statement about walking in union with God. And he's saying, hey, guys, remain in me. Abide in me. Be one with me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The Christian life is meant to be lived in union with me. And then at the very conclusion of that list of statements, he says this in John 15, 11, he says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. The point is, Jesus is saying, hey, the point of this is I want you to be in union with me so that you can have joy. And then later on, after he finishes his last teaching, he prays. And, and as he's praying for his disciples, he says, Lord, let them, let them experience union so that they can have the full measure of my joy. Imagine that, the full measure. Jesus wants you to have joy, overflowing joy, the full measure of his joy. His point here is that the Christian life is marked by joy. It's not an optional extra. It's not something, oh, it'd be nice if we were joyful. He's saying, no, the Christian life is to be marked by joy. And if you'll abide in me, not only are you going to have joy, you're going to have overflowing joy. It's going to be like a fountain bubbling up from within you. It's going to be the full measure of my joy. The closer you get to me, the more that, that we walk in union, the more joy is going to be in your life. But, but what is joy? What is joy? Well, I mean, how do, you know, a lot of us, we think about joy and we kind of think it's a synonym with uh, happiness, you know? <laughs> we think joy and happiness, they're kind of the same thing, but they're not. And here's how I, I kind of think about it. Joy is rooted in God. Happiness is rooted in our circumstances. You know, happiness comes when uh, something good happens to us. You know, maybe we get a raise, maybe we go see a film that we enjoy, maybe we have a good laugh with a friend, maybe we... Uh, are the team that we support wins a big match. I think in Sheffield we could use more of that these days. But joy is different. Joy is anchored in the unchanging reality of God. Joy is anchored in the fact that you are dearly loved by God. Joy is anchored in the reality 
that, that, that we are forgiven, that we are pure and holy in His sight. Joy is anchored in the reality that we're, we're, God will be with us, that He doesn't abandon us or forsake us, but that He's going to be with us always. Joy is anchored in the fact that we have the one thing that our hearts most deeply long for, and that is God Himself. Joy is anchored in the fact that, that pain and suffering, while they exist, they're not the end of our story. And in the end, all shall be well. I like how Rick Warren puts it. He says it this way. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. I like how he says that. It's this settled assurance, it's this quiet confidence that, that in the end, all will be well. You see, joy doesn't deny the existence of difficulty. It doesn't deny the existence of evil or suffering or pain or injustice. Now, joy understands that, but joy l- l- chooses to see those things from God's perspective that in the end... Joy, uh, pain is going to be washed away. In the end, injustice is going to be made right. In the end, God will be victorious over all the brokenness of our world. And joy chooses to see it from that perspective. And so, so we, we, we're not denying that pain and suffering exist. What we're saying is those things aren't going to have the last word in our story. No matter what pain you're facing, no matter what disappointment you're facing, no matter what hardship or injustice you're facing in Jesus, none of those things have the final word in the end. All shall be well. That's what joy is. And joy is so important for us because Well, as Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you know when he said this, Nehemiah was this this leader of Israel after exile, and I won't go into the whole history of it, but basically Nehemiah was leading the people, the Jewish people, back to Jerusalem, which had been ransacked and laid desolate, and and they were going to rebuild this city, and it was such a monumental work that he knew they would never accomplish it. And so he exhorts the people of Israel, says, look, we're going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We're going to rebuild this city, but we're not going to be able to do it without what? Without manpower, without hard work, without discipline. No, he says, we need joy. (laughs) That's what the secret of our strength is. We need the joy of the Lord. That's how we're going to accomplish it. And that's exactly what they did. They rebuilt the walls in this extraordinary time, a short amount of time. That's what we need as believers. See, the joy of the Lord gives us the strength that we need to live the Christian life in the face of all the challenges that we experience as believers. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But listen, one thing I I, want to, you know, you might be listening to this this morning and thinking, yeah, you know, Todd, you're right. Joy is a good thing. I should be more joyful. In fact, I will be more joyful. But that will never work. (laughs) As I said at the beginning, These things are the result of our union with God, not the result of our willpower. Joy is the result of our union with God. It's not the result of our willpower. You can can try to work up some joy, and maybe that'll last for 20 minutes. Maybe that'll last for a day. But ultimately, 
you'll fall short. You can't manufacture joy any more than you can manufacture the ability to fly when you jump off a building. It just doesn't work. Joy is the result of our union with God, not the result of our own willpower. So that's why union with God is so critical. Joy is critical to the Christian life, and joy doesn't happen without union with God. But I want to balance that statement slightly because we can listen to that and think, well, okay, nothing I can do. I'll just, I'll just you know, try to pursue union with, union with God and hope that I'll be joyful. But, but I do want to balance this a little bit because while you can't produce joy, you must choose it. You can't produce joy, but you must choose it. Just like everything else in the Christian life, there has to be a yes in your spirit to what God is offering you. God's never going to override our will and say, well, you don't really want this, but here you go anyway. No, God, God offers us things, things that we can never produce on our own, but then we have to choose it. And God can't rescue us from our, the pits that we live in if we are unwilling. If we say, no, I want to stay here. He can't just pull us out. There's got to be that yes. You know, we can't get ourselves out of the pit, he can, but he can get us out. But if we're not willing to cooperate with him, if we're not willing to say yes, if we're not willing to choose it, then there's nothing he can do. So what does it mean to choose joy? Well, it means choosing to let go of your disappointment, of your unanswered questions, Choosing to let go of your self-pity, choosing to let go of your pain, choosing to let go of, of the things that didn't turn out the way you hoped they would. It's choosing to let go of those things and choosing to say, God, I'm gonna, I, I don't have all the answers right now, but I, I, I choose you. I heard somebody say once that, that we can have understanding or we can have God, but we can't have both sometimes. And choosing joy means setting aside all that stuff and choosing him and saying, God, I'm saying yes to you, and I'm saying yes to joy. And I just think, you know, for a lot of us, we, we, look, we think about joy as kind of this optional extra, like I mentioned earlier, and, and, and we think that the Christian life is, is really, it's about duty, it's about commitment, it's about you know, self-restraint, it's about uh, being a good person, being a nice person. But actually, what I'm trying to do today is help you understand that, that joy is a category that we can live in, <laughs> that we can actually live and experience joy in our Christian life. But we have to choose it. We have to say yes to it. We have to maybe rewire how we think. You know, we've got to retrain our minds, as it says in Romans, that, that God transforms us by changing the way we think. And maybe we need to change the way we think about the Christian life and recognize it as it's meant to be a life of joy and delight, not just duty and obligation. But one last thing I want to say before I close, and, and, and I just think we would be naive to think that joy is going to be uncontested. You see... The enemy knows how powerful joy is in the life of a Christian. He knows that a joyful Christian is, is unbeatable in many ways. And, and whenever I think about joy, I remember this story that I read uh, in a book by John Eldridge a number of years ago, and he was recounting how this woman that, that had unusual discernment and just somebody that really walks with Jesus was talking to him, and she just said, John, 
the battle in your life is against your joy. The battle in your life is against your joy. You see, the enemy knows the joy of the Lord is our strength, and so he does whatever he can to undermine us and, our, and our, the joy that we are entitled to experience, the joy that is our inheritance, the joy that Jesus wants to give us. You see, he will deceive us. He will try to take away our, our uh, discernment, of, uh, or, he, or he will try to take our attention. He will distract us. He will just help try to cause us to believe that, that, that joy doesn't even exist. And so we have to stand against that. We've got to contend for joy. And you know what encourages me about all this is that, is that as we face this kind of challenge of like, am I going to choose to, to look at my life's challenges and hardships and suffering through my lens or am I going to look at it through God's lens? Am I going to see the difficulties of this world through, through the, the, the confidence that all is well or am I going to see it through the, the loss that I'm experiencing? You know what encourages me about this is that when we choose joy, we're not just choosing it out of, out of this sense that, you know, okay, so God loves me in these great truths. When we choose joy, you see, we get this union with God because God himself is joy. Did you catch that when we read that passage in, in John 15, 11? Jesus says, I want to give you my joy. It's his joy. A lot of us, we don't even think of God this way. We think of God as something completely, you know, we, th we might think of him as, as holy or uh, we might think of him as angry. We might think of him as, as aloof and distant. But, but Jesus is saying, I want to give you my joy. <laughs> you see, God is the most joyful being alive. I like this quote from Graham Cook, and he puts it this way. He says, he said, God, when we ask God for joy, God doesn't give us joy. He gives us himself because God is the most joyful. He's, he, he is the absolute joy personified. You see, God himself is full of joy. And so when we live in union with him, it just rubs off on us, just like a bee, you know, the, the pollen rubs off on a bee whenever it goes to a flower. When we spend time with God, when we're in union with him, that just rubs off on us because God himself is joy. And so as we close today, I just want to say that, that joy is available to us. And as we pursue God, well, the reason that we, we, we enjoy union with him so much is because he's the most joyful being that we could possibly experience. And so I want to encourage you today, wherever you're at, to choose to say yes to him, to choose to say, God, I, I want the joy that you're offering me. And no matter what hardship I'm facing in this year, I choose you and I choose your joy. And what's amazing about that is when we do that, it does something in us, and we become a different person as a result. We become a, a person that, that, that is just totally counterculture to the things of this world. You know, I think about somebody that, uh, this dear saint in our church who's a single mother, and, and she's gone through a lot of hardship, and she's still living through a lot of hardship, and yet she's the most joyful person I know. <laughs> and, and, 
And when people see her at work, they're like, why are you so happy all the time? Why are you so joyful all the time? They just ask her these questions, and then she's able to tell them, that's Jesus. He is the joy in me. He, he gives me his joy, and that is my strength. And that's my prayer for us, church, is that we would be a people who are marked by joy. That everywhere we go, that no matter what happens, I mean, goodness gracious, like, how much more could happen in this year? I mean, what else, what other crazy turn is 2020 going to take? But could we be a people of joy even in the midst of all the chaos that's happening in the world right now? That's what God longs for you to have. Jesus longs for you to have overflowing joy, the full measure of his joy, if we're willing to choose it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are joy personified. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are, that you long for us to experience joy that, that, that isn't even a category for most of us. And so today, Lord, and maybe if you're listening to this and you realize, gosh, I need this, maybe just put your hand on your heart and just say, Father, today I choose joy and I choose you. I choose to walk in union with you that I might have this joy that you say is the byproduct of that union. So fill me with your joy today. Help me to walk in union with you. And may the joy of the Lord be evident in all that I do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.